transmitted live across the Atlantic 3,000 miles and five hours backwards in time. We are now getting your sound clearly and we are looking forward with great anticipation to seeing your program. Hey, hello and welcome to Match Report. I'm Jack here with Manny. How's it going, man? Fuming. Absolutely fuming. I can't listen, yeah. The certain games that really get me wild up as, as a United fan, and I think it's the Manchester Derby. Not because, you know, we're massive rivals and you know there's a lot of anger and hate towards your enemy. Is it's just the embarrassment of these games sometimes really piss me off as a fan. You know, even under the Fergie day, look, you know what? Let's get into it. Let's get into it. <laughs> well, we better get right into it. You can't be contained. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking we start with, you know, first of all, I came into this match thinking that United were absolutely screwed. They were in huge trouble. City looking like a freight train that was going to run them over. But they started well, and I thought they had good shape. I think uh, Eric Ten Hag got his tactics right from the start. We'll get into what happened after that. But it started well. Eight minutes in, Marcus Rashford with a howitzer. From 25, 30 yards, smashed it in off the bottom of the crossbar. And you must have been in la-la land as a Manchester United supporter. I was in disbelief that we got that upper hand so quickly in the game. I thought if it was going to happen, it was going to be after a 20, 30-minute slog of hard, hard-fought hard defending and, you know, a breakaway goal. And for the game plan to go so well, you know, in, in that first 10 minutes of such a, such a big game, um, it did give a bit of belief and... <sighs> To be honest with you, I actually messaged you saying that although we're 1-0 ahead and City look a bit rattled, it's not going to take them long to get back into the stride and, and, and get back into the rhythm of popping the ball around. And they've got so such great technicians that keeping the ball is so easy for them, you know, and United really need, needed to be disciplined. And then again, going into the half, 1-0 up, you're thinking that's a great first 45 minutes, you know, away from home with the injuries that we have with, you know, the lack of form, the, the lack of quality against such a great city side, you couldn't really ask for much better. And then that 45 minutes, it just completely undone ourselves. Yeah, City did miss some chances, particularly a shocking miss from Erling Holland from two yards out after City seemed to have pinpointed that diagonal ball from one corner of the 18-yard box towards the back post, the the far side of the six-yard box. They were playing that game, that, that ball all game. And they were, they did cut United open on 44, 45 minutes. Uh, it was diagonal that Foden got his head onto right across two yards out. Holland missed. I was in absolute disbelief. But uh, United survived and they got in at 1 0. And you thought, Eric Ten Hag has basically gotten his tactics right. You want to sit in and then play vertically, go long, get in high over the top, and get in behind. Manchester City's high line because you know they want to play way up the field you've seen other teams this season get in behind them that way and I thought he had a very clever uh, mechanism to do that he had Bruno Fernandes playing a bit of a false nine getting up there and uh, doing some hold-up play that was what I would call technical hold-up play it wasn't big man game it was get you know bring the ball down however you can hold somebody off use your ability your technique on the dribble to keep the ball alive and away from city players until other players can get up and combine with you. That's how Rashford got the opportunity to strike from 25 yards. And that's how they were getting up the pitch on the sort of rare occasions that they did get up the pitch that, you know, United faced 18 shots, but they were getting their body in front. They were blocking and they got lucky a bit, but in the second half, the decisions from the manager, the decisions from Eric Ten Hag in that second half were unforgivable to me. The substitutions were unforgivable. And you could tell I'm speaking as an Arsenal fan that was really hoping the City <laughs> would drop points today. I thought that bringing off Marcus Rashford and bringing on Anthony was a disgrace. And I think that Anthony himself is a disgrace because he does not run in behind, which Marcus Rashford was doing. Even if Rashford squandered a couple chances, he did score one of them. And he was providing that vertical threat in behind that made City sweat. And instead, you bring on a guy who doesn't even want to take on a defender, much less run in behind and stretch out City's back line. 
It's criminal. I mean, unless it was a fitness thing where Rashford could not play 90 minutes, it was unacceptable to bring Anthony onto that pitch. It was a shocking decision. Absolutely shocking. I mean, take off Garnacho, take off McTominay, take off Fernandez, like whoever. But like you said, the one outlet that we had, that one constant threat that was available for us was Rashford. Um, I did think that second half, his performance level did drop. And I thought, you know, that that battle with Walker, he started to lose out on it mentally rather than physically, actually. He, he didn't want to go in 50-50 in some of the challenges. And you saw him pulling out and, you know, the lead up to their second goal, you you know, it was a soft foul that he was berating the ref and, and Ten Hag got that yellow card for, um, you know, for, for shouting in the fourth official. But he really has to be stronger and just have a bit more purpose in his play there. He went down very easily. And I just think it, it was it was a weak-minded performance from him in the second half after doing so well in the first half. But I, I can't understand why Anthony was brought on, you know. Um, you can maybe argue and say that with the change of Foden going out left um, and, and the young uh, defender, Kamwala, playing, you wanted someone that is a better defensive winger. And that is what Anthony has. It's probably his only attribute, that and being left-footed. It, it it's, there was nothing else that was need like that. I thought he could have done. Um, it, it was a shot decision. Then bringing on Amrabat didn't make sense. Um, Amrabat maybe should have started at at fullback and played that inverted role that he did the game before. But bringing him on, he's already someone that struggles physically in the in the league. That we've seen that he's not really up to pace. So to bring him on, you know, in the last 15, 20 minutes of a game and hope he can be a difference maker was almost like, okay, let's get on another body, another defensive-minded player, just so we have a respectable scoreline. There was there was nothing proactive about his decision-making in that second half. It was it, it was poor. Um, and I think the players, they looked so dejected after seeing some of those changes. You saw you saw Fernandez, you know, almost have his, his head down from those changes. He's now thinking, who am I going to play this out ball out, out with ball too. I've got no other options. McTominay, you know, as industrious as he is, he's not a great technician. He had a few runs where a better bit of quality in the pass round of defense could have been could have been played. Um, he didn't really have the opportunity to to make those late runs because he was playing quite forward. Um, it, it it just be completely imploded in that second half, and, and that's down to the manager. Yeah, Eric Ten Hag's decisions were just unacceptable, as you say, bringing on Amrabat. And taking off Maynu, Kobe Maynu, it's like, okay, let's bring on somebody who, as you say, cannot cover the yards in the same way that Maynu does and offers you less from a technical standpoint and a passing standpoint. At least Maynu was getting up into those forward areas too and playing some combination play when Bruno Fernandez would drop deep. And instead you have a completely one-dimensional, possibly zero-dimensional player as far as functioning in a Premier League midfield in, in Amrabat. In addition to that, I guess Eric Ten Hag saw what Jurgen Klopp did and thought he could just bring on a bunch of kids as well. But we've talked about culture before, and there is not a culture around Man United where young players are put in a position to succeed. Kobe Maynu is an outlier, and you can't just bring on 18 and 19-year-olds in a big match and think it's going to be the magic potion just because Jurgen Klopp did it in an entirely different situation. I think in that's in the place that United are right now, which is they have significant injuries. I think they missed Rasmus Hoyland up top. But again, Ten Hag got it right in terms of replacing that target man with Bruno Fernandez as the top as the false nine in the in the beginning of the game. They have a lot of injuries. The the solution was to stick with the senior players that you have and say, I need you to run hard for another 10 minutes because you're all getting paid 200,000 pounds a week. You need to run hard for another 10 minutes. I cannot bring out an 18-year-old to play. And by the way, listen, Phil Foden had a fantastic game, but one of those one of those goals that he sneaks in in the half space down the the Man City left, the Man United right, that's the space that you got a, a 19-year-old kid playing right back in. And you're asking Casemiro who had a, I thought a good 60 or 70 minutes you're asking him to cover that whole area, that whole half space to try and plug it up and drop into the, the back line to make it a back five at times, but also be alive to the threat of Rodri and John Stones who are playing on the edge of the D of your area of your area the whole time. 
And I think I thought United got punished for bringing on kids and and for not having the depth. I just think you got to stick with what's out there. Hundred percent. And and the kid that's playing at right back is a centre back. So you're playing a young player that doesn't have much first team experience out of position against one of the best sides in Europe. It just did not make sense. Um, I understand that Evans had an injury, so you know even if Evans had come off and Lindelof, who I thought had a had a very average game for me. Uh, he, he let Foden in too easily. You know he's going to cut inside and have a shot off or, or play a ball um, by coming in from, from the right-hand side. And it was too easy for him to get a shot away for, for the equaliser. But bringing him centre-back and, and put Amrabat on a left-back or go into a, a three centre-backs and, and play with wing-backs. Or it, I just thought there were so many other options we could have done than hang out a kid to dry. And then bringing on Omari Forsen you know, who's a technical, positive, you know, going forward player in a side where we're not even keeping the ball. So you're almost bringing him on to do absolutely nothing as well. There was no thought process. I could not understand the thought process into what the decisions Teng Ha was making um, in that second half. And yeah, as I said earlier, it looked like the players also were a bit bewildered. The shape was completely dismantled. Um, we wasn't as tight as a unit. Um, like you said, we was quite compact and playing vertical and it just seemed that we all started becoming and playing like individuals and there was just not, and if it wasn't for, for Onana as well and Varane, who also had a great game, it would have been a very, very, very embarrassing scoreline. And, you know, as a United fan, these, these games more and more this season and the past few seasons, apart from that brief period on the Oli, we, we get embarrassed as City. Like, you don't want to be going to clubs and feeling like you're going to walk away with, you know, humiliation. And that performance, that second half performance was humiliating. Yeah. I, I think it's a black eye. I, I think you're right to point out that Andre Onana was good. And, and there were a few United players that were good. And I thought they kept their shape well in the beginning, but the decision's just unforgivable. On the flip side, Pep Guardiola wins another, you know, mid game tactical battle. You'd almost always back him to do so. Um, and we have to give props to Phil Foden, who sort of stepped into the superstar role today when Erling Holland was not doing it. Kevin De Bruyne was not doing it. And he, as the captain of my fantasy team, I tip my hat. This is the worst possible outcome where I got no points and City got maximum points. But Foden became the superstar today. Uh, he was the man. Uh, you know, Jeremy Doku, kind of anonymous. Julian Alvarez has been out of form for a while. This was the Foden show, and and he took care of business when nobody else did. The kid born, you know, five miles away from the stadium. Yeah, and under the watchful eye of Gareth Southgate, who was in the stands as well. So he'd done himself great service. Um, he really took the game by the scruff of the neck, you know, and, and that's what you want. And I guess for, for a City fan and for City side, it, it's great to see an academy player rise to the occasion like that and, you know, basically win the game for them. Um, he has to start for me for England. He probably needs to play that number 10 role with either uh, Rashford or or Grealish out wide. Um, and Saka's definitely got that right wing spot. But but Foden, he's he's playing with so much confidence now. Um, he believes in himself. He's he's popping up in the right spaces and he's really adding to, you know, those those goals and assists to his game. And in the big moments, he's been able to step up for City throughout this whole season. So yeah, it was it was a great performance from him. Um, and yeah, C City did what City always do, you know, 80% possession, multiple chances, uh, multiple shots on goal, multiple touches in the opposition's box. Um, and Haaland, yeah, he, he got a great, it was a good finish, but again, it was gifted to him. So honestly, I don't know what, what, what more to make of this United side. Um, I don't think Ten Hag has got much left. Um, I think the only way he's saved from this job is a potential FA Cup win. And I don't see that against Liverpool. Uh, but again, if, if Klopp is forced to play in youngsters and we have Hodgland back and some of our defenders back, then we've got an opportunity. But again, that speaks volumes that we're hoping we're playing a Liverpool side full of kids and our first team players back to go through to the next round. It, it's It's been a very poor season for us. Yeah, I do think just on Foden that this this was the match where Phil Foden moved ahead of Bakayo Saka for me. And I say that as an Arsenal fan and someone who rates Saka extremely highly, including in terms of his end product, where he has been getting goals and assists constantly this season. 
But Foden, when he scores from 30 yards like that in the Derby, that is the stuff that makes you world-class, I think. And Saka's done that a bit. He did that against Manchester United last season, to his credit. But I think Bukayo Saka has to do that more often. He has to win a game like Phil Foden did here. I think Phil Foden is up there with Harry Kane now as England's most potent weapon going into the Euros this summer. Saka not far behind. I mean, Saka is a hell of a player. But uh, I think Foden might have moved ahead. Yeah, uh, I'm quite hesitant. I've, I've got, as uh, as crazy as it probably sounds, but I've got a very soft, uh, a soft spot for, for Saka. Uh, probably from the Euros, you know, um, with the way he missed the penalty and uh, the way he was treated, I guess, by by the home fans. Um, you, you kind of want him to do well regardless, you know. But I think in another game, you can see Saka doing the same thing. Um, you know, they kind of pull away and pull away from each other at different points in, in, in the season. Um, so at the moment, I think Foden is on top, but... You know, Saka could do the same thing against against a city side when they play. You know, and then we'll be we'll be talking reverse. Um, I think for me, what what Saka brings that Foden doesn't have is that athleticism, that you know is always going to be a threat, especially international international and you know European games. Um, technically, I'll, I'll probably put Foden ahead of him just, but Saka's uh, Saka deserves deserves a praise still. But but Foden really, I think, becoming that on that level of, you know, the other senior players at City with Bernardo Silva, De Bruyne, Haaland, and you're seeing that the players, they're constantly giving him the ball now, you know, in, in that game today, he was the he was the outward ball constantly for them and he was dragging us left and right, our defence and, you know, playing some really smart plays and even switch flank and was just as effective. Yeah, I think they'll both, Bukayo Saka and... Foden should be starting for England this summer, but with Gareth Southgate, you never know. Maybe Calvin Phillips will be playing attacking midfield. Uh, We can touch on United's top four chances a bit later on because we're going to get to Aston Villa. But there was another, uh, you know, big match in the title race yesterday when Liverpool went to Nottingham Forest. And in my humble opinion, we're very lucky to escape with three points and a one nil victory. I I particularly thought that Anthony Alanga had to score with his left foot uh, late, pretty late on, in, you know, between 70 and 80th minutes would have been a crucial time to score. He doesn't, that's not the only chance that Forrest missed. Liverpool had theirs as well. Uh, but then, you know, there was some controversy in stoppage time that contrived to give Liverpool a victory that maybe they just about deserved on the balance of play but they easily could have lost all three points here they easily could have lost and we said this a number of games this season where you know they've had the fortunes of a refereeing decision or just crazy uh, imploding from the opposition side giving away you know sloppy pass or you know even even when the team are not playing well uh, a Jota or Salah pops up with a, with a great goal and we have to say that to win again last minute, although under very very dodgy you know um, circumstances, they're proving to be you know um, and performing like title winners. Um, and Nottingham Forest, I think they would feel a bit hard done by. Um, they did put up a good fight, uh, but again, based on the probability of chances that Liverpool probably edged that game again, playing with a few of their youngsters um, in, in that side, but couple of things to know is I, I I don't see much in Gakpo. I don't know what, what he brings that that much to that to the side. Um I think his hold up is not is not bad. I think he's just a very average player. You know, he's not particularly great at anything. Um but you don't always need someone like that, you know, you just need someone to dependable. But that decision, um I don't know, Konate, he played he played the pantomime fantastically. Um and then for them to continue to go up the pitch and then score the way they did. I don't know, man. It doesn't help with the conspiracies that the league seem to be wanting Liverpool to win the to win the title of the season. Yeah, I think it's you know I said I put something on TikTok about this, and I get of course you get the Liverpool fans saying, "Well, you know the drop ball went the other way in the first half, so you didn't say anything about that." I'm like, "Yeah, this was in the ninety plus five. This is ninety fifth minute. You're deep into stoppage time. You get the ball back inexplicably when you didn't have possession." Uh, ahead of the head injury stoppage the referee gives you the ball granted Nottingham Forest had a chance to clear and they fluffed their lines and gave it back to Liverpool 
And then the chance and the Darwin Nunez 99th minute goal came from that. Again, questions about how much stoppage time there was, how they went over the eight minutes. You know, it's more to me that I said this as well earlier yesterday. I just feel like teams don't punish Liverpool and they get lucky. And, you know, it could have been 2-0 Nottingham Forest here. Uh, I just feel like Liverpool have been getting the run of luck, but you do need that in a title race. And, you know, I'd, I'd probably rather see Liverpool do it than City. So, you know, I'm hoping they get luck rather than City and they do play each other next week, which will be its own kettle of fish. It's just frustrating because I, I just don't feel like Mikel Arteta and Arsenal get those same breaks uh, on a consistent basis. Maybe you have to make your own luck. I don't know. No, agreed. Um, but I also think that this Liverpool win, it's, if they do go on and win the title, feels almost like that um, the COVID you know cup run that they won. Um, they, they almost don't deserve it that's how it feels you know they're they're getting a lot more luck and they're getting away with things and getting a lot of decisions that a lot of teams aren't getting but the old saying is you do create your own luck you know they are always fighting they do have that belief Um, they've got a great manager so you know it's probably a bit of sour grapes from from the rest of the rest of the league and, and its fans but it's it's not they're not convincing it with the way they're going about winning this 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 league so far. Um, so you know, I'll be keen to see how they play and how they match up against City. But on in terms of of quality, in terms of you know that first eleven and the squad, City should go out on top. But we've seen throughout the season that Liverpool always seem to find a way to win. Yeah, I will say Liverpool have been racked with injuries. Uh, their injury list is incredibly long, and it's very important players. I'm sure that they've been resting Mo Salah to try and get him back for that City game next week. I think Diogo Jota might be more time out, and I think he's their second-best attacker. But I think even Liverpool fully fit are the third-best team in the league, especially we've talked before about the differences in midfield. I just think that they're certainly a class below City in midfield, but also I think they're behind Arsenal significantly in the midfield areas. They have a great center-back partnership. They have the best keeper. They have the best player in the league and Mo Salah when he's fit. But there are holes in that team. They're just managing to paper them over, especially as they ride out this injury crisis. And who am I to, you know, ride Jurgen Klopp about that? I mean, he's, he's, he's getting the job done. He's getting results. So we'll have to see. Uh, Arsenal play tomorrow. They play Sheffield United. We'll have an idea then of where the, whether it's still three horses packed together with a couple points separating. I would expect Arsenal to get the result, but, you know, you have the fear of the fan. Uh, But (laughs) we can take a brief intermission here uh, to talk about the big news of the last seven days or so that Paul Pugba has been banned for four years uh, for doping allegations. They found he tested positive for testosterone in a urinalysis test in September, I believe, and he hasn't played since. He's 30 years old, so it's seems like a death sentence for his career at the top level to me. And it seems completely excessive. I don't see why he couldn't be out for, I think a year and a half would be appropriate where a a year is obviously not long enough, but a year and a half from now, he's lost an incredibly valuable chunk of his career, but he could still maybe have a season or two at the top level. This is just, it's draconian to me from the Italian anti-doping authorities and it's almost like he's being made an example of. It's not what I want to see. Yeah, and I think you have to be careful with uh, our, I guess, assumptions as, as to why this is happening. Um, you know, when you look at the racial connotations of what the Italian league and Italian offici- officiating has been like, you think, what's going on here? You know, there's there's been rumours and there's been sanctions um, of other players or, or, or teams that hasn't been as harsh as what Pogba has been accused of. You know, he is rightly saying that he wants to appeal the decision, um, which I think is, I don't think he'll get much from it, but, you know, it's, he definitely should try and clear his name. Um, but, you know, it's even reported that the same drug that he's used is, is a drug that Messi himself used, you know, as an academy player at, at Barca. And, you know, it was the growth hormones because he would have ended up being like four foot something and he wouldn't have reached, you know, the heights that he did and, and the physicality that he did. So 
I don't know. It is it is very harsh and it is almost pretty much done for him. Um, and I just think it's it's a real blight on his career because as much as the the later years at United wasn't great club wise, he he was a phenomenal player for France. Um, and I think this is almost going to tarnish his reputation. Um, and we'll see, you know, what the future holds if it's if it's just or not. But at the end of the day, for me, if you're a cheat, you should be caught and should be punished. You know, even if it is harsh. I mean, I hope this sets a precedence, you know, for for other players and 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 for the rest of the world when it comes to football. Because, you know, City have got 115 charges pending, and nothing's happened there. But Everton have been have been charged twice now. So, we just want you know fair, fairness and equality throughout. I do think he he could have some luck at the court for arbitration for sport, uh, the court of arbitration for sport, because that's where Man City got their victory in the previous financial impropriety case that they caught from UEFA. I think that Paul Pogba could get his sentence reduced maybe by that body. It is, it is a, it's a footballing tragedy because you look back, he won the Scudetto four times when the Juventus were absolutely dominant. He won the Europa league with Man United, but really it is a lost career. Um, apart from that 2018 World Cup with France, when he led a star-studded team, he was the real captain of that team. You can see the the video coming out of the, the locker room, the dressing room, that after they won it, that he was the one giving the speeches. He was the fulcrum of the team. That was when he was the most scintillating central midfield player on the planet, where he was an astounding athlete, covered so much ground, but then was such an accomplished technician great shape on his passes, very cultured game. And then he would get up 30 yards from goal and smash in a volley from 30, 35 yards into the top corner, especially for Juventus. An amazing player, a a dynamo in midfield. And that brings us to our our set piece uh, for this week, which is the, the most disappointing lost careers that we've seen in, in modern football. Um, I'm curious to, to hear your four. Paul Pogba certainly makes my list, Manny, but who'd you go for? Um, this list is, is quite difficult, uh, to be honest. With you. Probably one of our hardest that we've done. Um, I'll put that disclaimer out there. Um, I've gone for players who I believe their, their, their ability, their talent deserved a lot more. Um, most of them did still go on and do something, but very similar to Pogba, where their their uniqueness really should have done more. Um, so, at number four, I've gone with Koresma. Um, came through at a great time where a lot of young, exciting Portuguese talent came through. You know, Ronaldo, Deco, um, Nani, and you know he was almost a legend you know uh, for, for young for younger footballers on youtube with that outside of the foot specialty that he had scored some incredible goals great pace the, the great trickery yeah the yeah. travella it was you know he was such a joy to watch um and he was doing it on big occasions you know it wasn't just against you know the lower league clubs um but he was often labeled as just a selfish player didn't really play for the team um he definitely could have been I guess, you know, his professionalism was always questioned and he's he played for some really good clubs, but I just think his ability and what he could do with the ball, he deserved to be on the bigger stage and, and really winning the biggest titles. So I've, I've gone with Charisma for number four. Number three, I've gone for Mario Gotze, if I'm saying the surname correctly. Um, to win a World Cup for your country, you know, in the dying moments, the way he did for Germany, um, he was part of that great, you know, that great side of Dortmund on the clock with Gundogan, um, which other players were there, Gundogan, um, Royce first coming through, uh, Emre Chan, you know, he and he was one of the shining lights in German football and, you know, really thought he was going to go on and, and go to one of the top, top European sides. Ended up, he did go to Bayern, but it didn't really work out for him there. Um but I think he had the ability and, you know, like I said, for winning the World Cup for your country, he should have gone on to be a German legend and his career has really gone downhill. He's almost forgotten about. So I've gone with Gotze for number three. Number two, I've gone with Balotelli. 
the much <laughs> storied, the much uh, media darling um, of football for usually the wrong reasons. But you can't deny his ability. You know, he's been a thorn of United during those City days. You know, the the amazing celebration, that the memorable celebration, why always me under his shirt, um, what he did as such a young player in Inter Milan. Uh, even for the Italian side, you know, he, for the things that he's won, he's won, you know, Champions League, he's won a, he's won a um, Italian League, he's won the Premier League, he's he's won a lot of trophies, you know, but you always felt that he was playing at almost 40% of his ability, you know, you was always hearing about messing around in the training ground and you just think if you'd put in, if you had half that professionalism that you know the Ronaldo's the Messi's and you know Bales and these kind of people did have he really could have been a Ballon d'Or winner I think he had that ability but you know off the field antics and just almost not caring too much and just letting his football do the talking he didn't get go to the heights that he should have got to and then number one um, I've gone with Adriano and I think he he really was going to be that successor to R9. Um, R9 was close to being on my list only because not winning a Champions League is a great blight on his career and we never really got to see the best of Ronaldo, R9. Um, but yeah, back to Adriano. You know, great promise in that inter side. We hadn't seen a striker with such physicality, such strength, but then, you know, blessed with the balance the the technical ability his shot power was was legendary even on you know football games having that 99 shot power it was something that you know as a kid you just always wanted to play with him um but yeah it suddenly his career started to plateau and it's, it's due to i think his dad passing away and he was a massive supporter of his and Adriano then went into a lot of depression he said he you know his, his discipline of with um his training putting on weight, alcohol, and all of that. You just couldn't cope anymore, which is a really sad story. But he just never became or got back to the heights that, you know, he was showing. And he really could have been that that player that that would have led Brazil to, you know, a World Cup or, you know, a couple Copa, Copa Americas. But I've put Adriano's number one. Yeah, I've got some overlap with you. And I mine also reflect that some of these are sort of relative to what I feel they could have done not so much that they accomplished nothing. Um, so number four, I've got Jack Wilshire, and that's an Arsenal homer pick, but I can't resist it. Number three, I've got Mario Balotelli. Number two, I've got Neymar. And number one, I got Paul Pogba. Neymar? Yes, and that's a relative Ooh. one. So listen okay. to this. Okay, explain first Neymar. All, yeah, for, first, I'll start with Jack Wilshire. First of all, okay. I think Jack was... You know, I remember Xavi coming out after Arsenal played Barcelona in the Champions League and saying that Wilshire had been one of the most formidable opponents he and, he and Iniesta had had in the midfield trenches when he was 19 years old, playing away at the New Camp at home at the Emirates against that, those teams. I mean, some, yeah. some of those games, Messi would go and score four goals and we'd go out in the round <laughs> of 16. But Wilshire was incredible. He just had this habit of holding on to the ball for half a step too long and taking too many tackles in on his ankles um, and his mm. joints just took a beating. And he never really, uh, you know, was able to cope physically with all the injuries that resulted. He, he was never even in his body after that. And I just thought he could have been a Cesc Fabregas level player for this, for the Arsenal in the Emirates era. And it never quite happened. So that's a personal tragedy for me. Uh, Balotelli, I, I agree with you, has to be up there. Mario Balotelli right now is 33 years old, right now. And really, his career has been over for eight or nine years at least. I mean, he had already won the UEFA Champions League, Serie A, all of these competitions by the time he was 24 or 25. And by that point, it sort of petered out, even when he went to AC Milan and then Liverpool. That was not him, really, in the same way. And you can just only imagine what he could have been had he had... If, if he had the mentality of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, for instance, who he played with at times throughout his career, and they, you know, they each enjoyed success, but Ibrahimovic, I think, went farther despite not winning the Champions League. He won the league in all kinds of different countries all over the world. Um, it, it is a tragedy with Balotelli. 
Then number three is Neymar, the, the contentious pick. I just feel that after Neymar left Barcelona, when he left Barcelona, that was the sliding doors moment. And he ceased to become what he could have become. The PSG move, I think, in the end, was a massive disappointment. Winning Ligue 1 every season is not an achievement when you play for PSG at this stage of the project. It's not just him over there. I mean, by the at one point, he's got Mbappe and Messi playing in the same team. He certainly had Mbappe the whole time. They had phenomenal players all over the pitch. He was constantly struggling with injury, which is a similar story to, to much of Paul Pogba's career. Um, but also, I don't know. He, why did he go to Saudi when he's like 30 years old? I think he just turned in his career. It could have been so much more. He was, since Ronaldinho was the most skilled technician and flair player, entertainer, Joga Bonito, the thrill of the game was Neymar. When he was at Santos as a 17-year-old, if you go back and watch those clips, one of the goals Incredible. was the uh, uh, the goal of the, the season Puskas. worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Pus- he won the Puskas as like a 17, 18-year-old doing amazing things at yeah. the club that Pele called home. And in the end, I mean, I feel like he's been playing Fortnite for like three years. I really do. I, I just don't. <laughs> I'm I'm not saying that he's, he didn't still score some great goals, but he didn't realize what he could have realized in terms of his potential over the last four years. And that's why I put him as a disappointment, despite the fact that he won the Champions League with uh, a star-studded uh, Barcelona side. And then, of course, number one, Paul Pogba, for all the reasons I've already said, I'm just so sad about it because I thought he I thought he could have been a Steven Gerrard, uh, a Steven Gerrard level uh, figure in terms of being the one of the midfield dynamos of his generation, the player that is remembered as as unplayable from both a physical and technical standpoint. And in the end, he spent half his career on the treatment table. And he's got a few huge accomplishments, but not as many as he should. Yeah, but if you look at what someone like Steven Jarrod has accomplished in his com- career and compare that with Pogba, Pogba goes, he edges it, you know? And Pogba's been a mainstay and a massive influence on, you know, title wins for both club and country, wherever it has been. Um, I think what's really killed Pogba's career is probably the English media. You know, the narrative around Pogba and his dancing or his flamboyance on and off the pitch is what's really crucified him. I think more than what he achieved on the pitch. You know, we're looking at this Man United side without a Pogba in it and it's it's massively, massively gotten worse. You know, we're crying out for a player like Pogba now that can handle the physical demands of the Premier League and couple that with great technical ability and can drag a team from nowhere and pick out a pass from nowhere. You know, he he's basically, you know, the French version of the Bruyne. You know, he's got that pace and power. He's got the technical ability. He can find a pass. He can score, you know, and he can be a leader and might not be a leader vocally, but through his performance and, and his ability. Um, I, ju- I just think, you know, the way Pogba was talked about in over here in the UK compared to the way Pogba was talked about in France is very different, you know. To, to have won the way he did that, that, that World Cup and the Euros, he goes down in folklore for them. He's a legendary player, you know, and I don't see many players, you know, in, in the Premier League centre midfielders that I think are better than him. And he unfortunately played in a very poor United side and in a club that had no structure, had no stability. You know, imagine the Pogba that was producing the numbers that he was doing and performances in a Chelsea or City or even an Arsenal side. You know, it would have been a completely different player and looked upon differently. But, Despite all of that, you still think he still could have got United a, a title win just because of how good he was. So I, I do agree, but I think uh, he, he he should still hold his head high and he is still should be considered one of the greatest centre midfielders of our generation, definitely. Yeah, and you can't separate it from how poor the culture and, and the results have been at United for the last decade. I mean, he's, he's a victim of that along with, uh, other players that maybe could have done more if United were the United they were at the previous decade. Uh, but that brings us to a team that I always thought that Paul Pogba should have gone to play for, which is Real Madrid. Uh, and they, I, I will confess, I missed this game live and I, I had it in my list of matches to watch 
uh, in the Friday newsletter, but I took it out last second because I feared, you know, Valencia, they had some decent form, but they've kind of gone off. This can be an easy result for Real. Didn't turn out that way 2-2. But the what I wanted to touch on quickly was this incident at the end where the referee is, let, let's say, eager to blow the final whistle <laughs> as Real Madrid are trying to get the winner, the 3-2 winner. Uh, Bellingham is incensed. Uh, he gets sent off. It's a mess. I mean, what did you th- what did you make of this? You know what? Football still still can surprise me with some of the theatrics that happens, and I've never seen something like that happen, especially at this level, where the ball is in the air. It's the last kick of the game, and the referee just just blows for the end, and and then. Obviously, Bellingham ends up getting the getting the goal that doesn't stand, but it's it's incredible that that was allowed to happen. You know, it, I think it was the last African Cup of Nations where I think there was six or seven minutes added time or, or time left in the game, and the referee just decided to call the game off with three or four minutes left. is It's all is so comical, and you're just thinking, what is going on here? And you, again, your mind always goes to corruption, always goes to you know, is there being some foul play here? Because it can't make sense that that was allowed to happen. Um, and then VAR, I guess they can't really do anything at that point. The game's done now. So I, I think it's a disgrace. And I think, you know, we all have every grounds to make an appeal. But what can you really appeal? What I don't even know if there's anything that can be done now. Um, the best they can get is hopefully have the red cards rescinded for Rudiger and, and Bellingham. Yeah, that is the problem with poor officiating and inexplicable decisions. People's minds immediately go towards, as you said, corruption. I mean, is somebody interested in preventing Real Madrid from running away with La Liga, which there's a threat that they could do now that uh, Girona have fallen off. Barcelona actually have picked up their form in the league a bit, but they're not in the conversation. So, yeah, your mind goes there. I usually default towards ineptitude rather than corruption but you know spain has a history there, there have been questions for over the last 20 years about the relationship between the referees in spain and some of the top clubs etc um i remember a second yellow that robin van Persie got in an away fixture oh, at the camp new uh mm-hmm. all those years ago just absolutely unbelievable for kicking the ball away when there's no way you could have heard the heard the whistle and it was a millisecond after the whistle was blown. <laughs> and now, you know, we, we have to see how the investigations play out with that, shall we say. But, um, you know, the questions immediately pop up. I, I didn't catch the game, so I, I only was looking at that last 10 minutes, but that was shocking. Uh, but before we go, I, I do want to catch, uh, catch up on one of the six great matches Four out of six were really good matches in the same match window on Saturday. I was complaining about this before (laughs) and after, that they had all been put in that match window, and then we were subjected to Burnley against Bournemouth uh, this morning (laughs) or you know, for the early game on Sunday before the Manchester Derby. Um, But one of those matches was Luton Town against Aston Villa with big implications at both ends of the table. Uh, Villa got out early with uh, two goals from Ollie Watkins, who has been on fire this season. He's probably that level below the Hollands of the world in terms of sheer production at the forward position. But Luton fought back, as they often do at home. They're they're a proposition at home. They've given a lot of people problems. Um, And I thought it could go their way for a while. Yeah, it's it's really sad that it's looking like Luton may get relegated, but they've put up like a hell of a fight. They've had some great, um, great games and great performances um, against some of the top sides actually, and um, it was unfortunate. I thought they're gonna you know go away with a draw, a well fought draw as well. It was, a, it was quite an even game, um, not much in difference in, in possession, uh, quite an equal amount of shots on goal and shots on target, um, and we always say that with these. With these lower league sides, um, it's it's usually down to quality of finishing, and, and Ollie Watkins has been on form this season. And you know, was I wasn't too surprised to find out that I think he's in the top ten for for GA across Europe, hmm. um, not just goals but also assists. So he he is someone that is definitely I think primed to go to to a top 
I was going to say top four, but <laughs> they're, they're currently a top four side at the moment. Um, but I guess the traditional top four. Um, but yeah, I, I think Luton are, I think earlier in the season, they were getting the 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 luck on, on some of these results that was getting into draws or maybe a win for them. They picked up points really well early on in the, in the first, I'll say first quarter, first third of the season. And it's just looking like these these results are slipping away from them. Um, and I think maybe it might just be how expansive and expressive they can be in their play sometimes. Uh, they do still quite play quite the higher line. And that first goal for Ollie Watkins, you know, it's that ball in behind again that they've been susceptible to all season. Um, but I think I think they're going to struggle. But I really hope that they can put a decent run together to get, you know, to stay up in this league because I think it's a great story and they, they do have some really good players on that side and, you know, they nearly fought their way back. Yeah, you do fear for Luton, although I think Nottingham Forest are still waiting to hear about their points deduction. Uh, Everton could get another points deduction. I think Brentford have been pretty poor this season. There Some matches that were on the edge have gone against them, but the results have been poor for Thomas Frank's side. So it's not over for Luton. They're four points uh, out of away from safety with a game in hand, but you do fear for them. As for Aston Villa, I mean, as you said, Ollie Watkins, he has 16 goals and 10 assists in the Premier League this season. Uh, and they have a whole host of midfield and wide players that are that are quality. And they have some fight. I mean, they, they recovered from blowing a 2-2 lead, which as an Arsenal fan who's seen some Unai Emery sides, I was a little surprised. I thought they it might go the other way, the way the momentum swung. But they got the result again. And Aston Villa... They're in fourth place. They're five points clear of Tottenham, but they Tottenham have a game in hand. And Manchester, your beloved Manchester United, I made a you know some video a couple weeks ago about how they were in the top four race. They have swiftly disabused me yeah. of that that notion. <laughs> We've got to forget about that one. I think an FA Cup and a Europa League spot from how we started is it would it turn out to be an incredible season for us. Um, and I think Ten Hag may just about keep his job. But the changes that Ineos are making, I don't see that happening. Uh, Villa thoroughly deserve to be top four. Um, they've been consistent. They play good football. Um, and they've got, you know, a, a marksman up front that's doing the business for them. So they've given themselves a real good chance and it's just about keeping consistent. And I think Emery's got the experience, you know, across Europe and, and winning, you know, European titles himself to maybe steady the ship and, and get them through this last this last quarter of the season. Um, I think it's going to take take a lot for anyone to knock them off the fourth. I think it's probably going to have to be maybe our Tottenham. Um, but yeah, United, forget about it. Yeah, Villa have like five really quality players in behind Watkins too. I mean, Leon Bailey is having an amazing season. They have Musa Diaby coming off the bench, really. And then centrally, John McGinn, Douglas Louise. Yuri Tielemans coming off the bench. I mean, they have some decent depth. Um, and I would say top four quality in those areas. And they're, they get con- results more consistently than Tottenham Hotspur. Now, they're only... Uh, well, they have five points clear of Tottenham, but assuming Tottenham win their game in hand, it, it's a two-point difference. But they're also... Villa are only three points behind the Arsenal. You know, Arsenal still have to play this weekend, but they're a competitive side. Um uh, you touched on Eric Ten Hag. I mean, to to wrap up, since we don't think that United are in this race for the top four, if he secures Europa League, if he secures fifth, which doesn't look likely either, but they could maybe catch Tottenham. Is that enough for him to to keep his job? I just don't even see like one. They had one of their best performances of the of the season in the first half here, but there were eighteen shots against mm-hmm. and. You know, they they were still just sitting in and trying to go route one. Uh, they they've never really developed a pattern of play, even. And then you factor in the results. I mean, yeah, I I think he has a little bit of good good grace in 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 the tank from what he did in his first season, coming third and and winning a Carabao Cup. You know, as as much of a Mickey Mouse Cup as it is, it, it's still a trophy and it's still silverware and showing you know winner mentality. Um, for for a club like United, and I I just like to think that with the right structure that Ineos is building, is he potentially the the manager that could continue? Um, 
I think he, he I don't think he'd be the worst. Um, but I think the decisions needs to be made by the right people. And I'm not holding any affinity or, you know, closeness to, to any, any personnel, whether that's staff or player, to be honest with you, you know, the, the announcements and, and the positions that we're filling now at United is giving me confidence that we're going to start being a serious football club again. And if this management believe that Tenag is not the play, is not the manager, or they do believe he is the manager, and he actually is told, forget this pragmatic stop-start play, try to get results that you're doing United, and actually be the manager that we thought you was going to be and play that brand of Dutch Ajax football, but we will get you the players so you for you can play that. Then hey, I'll I'll give it a go. Um, but if they feel that you know with all the new all the new personnel that's coming in, we are going to look at a Deserbi, we are going to look at an Amarim or um, you know a Julius Nangerman, whoever it is. Then I'm going to bat the new manager the same way. Uh, it's just this season being ravaged with injuries has not helped him um, with the players like Fernandez and Rashford being so off form throughout the throughout the year. He's kind of almost had it against him, but some of his decision-making has been so poor throughout the season that you just think, even with everyone fit, even with better manage, uh, better structure behind you, can you really knock off Guardiola? Arteta, these, these guys seem still quite a few steps ahead of you. So it will be interesting to see what decision is going to be made in the summer, but it's probably going to be made sooner than that, to be fair. Well, the first order of business for Ineos is to stop Eric Ten Hag buying anybody from Ajax. Because he passed on Mohammed, passed on <laughs> Mohammed Kudus to bring in Andy, who I just need to reiterate is a yeah. disgrace, disgraceful performance today. Uh, <laughs> but one thing we know about Eric Ten Hag, he will yeah. keep an eye on the TikToks. If you post a derogatory TikTok <laughs> about one of his players, he's on the case, demanding an apology. Uh, but we'll have to see how things go for him the rest of the season. Manny, thank you for your time, and uh, I'll catch you in a week. Catch you next week. Take care, man. Uh,